At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 508th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have a local Phoenix chef who is committed to sustainable resourcing and zero waste while supporting local agriculture. We're talking with Danielle Leone about serving up good food. Chef Danielle is the executive chef and owner of the Bread, Fruit, and Rum Bar in Phoenix, Arizona. Hailed as a champion of sustainability and green restaurant innovation, Chef Danielle has distinguished herself with an avant-garde approach to blending the best of the Southwest with the tropical traditions of Jamaica. She has explored the islands of the Caribbean and immersed herself in seaside food cultures with a keen eye on responsible fishing practices. Under her stewardship, the Bread, Fruit, and Rum Bar has introduced an entirely new cuisine to Arizona while redefining perceptions of tropical and green dining. Welcome to the show today, Danielle. Are you ready to rock? Yes, sure am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the bio sounds great, but it sure has taken me a long time to get to that point. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> Let's see. So the Bright Fruit Run Bar has been open for 12 years now. So wow. you know, over a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, and time does fly. So doesn't it seems like just the other day I was 26, you know, but <laughs> right. that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be a yoga teacher. Wow. And, yeah, and I used to run a yoga school. At the time, my uh, my very good friend wanted to kind of take a new career path. And uh, Dwayne Allen, who's the co-owner of the restaurant, who is also my husband now, wanted to, was musing about opening a restaurant. I'm a very enthusiastic, very encouraging person. I just, with all of my zeal, yes, that that sounds incredible. We should definitely have a restaurant. He's like, that's amazing. You want to help me? I said, I'd love to help you. And I went way over my head without knowing it. But good thing I learned how to donkey paddle. So exactly. we made it through. <laughs> right? <laughs> I got into the restaurant industry on accident by happenstance, and I was still running the school and teaching yoga at the time. And Dwayne and I quickly realized just a couple months into it that this is not a part-time endeavor, that if you really want to succeed in this hospitality industry, that it's an all-in completely. It's like having three jobs, right? It becomes your life. Oh, yeah. So I switched from, yeah, so I mean, going from meditating and, you know, practicing yoga for five hours a day, I uh, decided to learn what a kitchen was like. And we had to figure out, like, even how to run a restaurant. So, like, today I'm known for, you know, being innovative and I'm leading the green dining in Phoenix and all these wonderful sustainability practices. 
were slow, very slow to come. I first had to teach myself how to cook a piece of chicken. Like what I didn't understand what a knife cut was. I've never seen the inside of a kitchen. I've never run a restaurant. So wow. um, it was this really, yeah. I mean, every single minute of the day was just like life was throwing it hard at me. And <laughs> we had days at the breadfruit like back in 2008 that nobody, like seriously, not a soul would cross our threshold. Oh, I've been and, there. Uh, I, I was right? sharing, yeah, I was sharing with you before we got started that I started doing tours here at the Urban Farm in 2001, and there were Saturdays when I would set up, and nobody would show up. But what did you do? You just keep setting up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Quite literally, every morning we, I'd go in with Dwayne, and we'd prep all the food, and then we would serve lunch. We'd serve the guests. We cook the food, then we clean it up, set it up for dinner, and just rinse and repeat. And it was really interesting because we had to go buy all of our food. And at that time, I didn't know farmers. I didn't understand food systems. I told you I was a yoga teacher. I lived on, geez, wheatgrass and power bars and air, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> nothing like a good meditation to fill your stomach. But <laughs> I always wish there was a pill so I never had to worry about food again. And my gosh, it, it has swung so hard the other direction these days. And how that happened is I'm, I'm in downtown Phoenix. I'm just south of Roosevelt uh, between 1st and 2nd Street. So I nestled in the community. It, it's right across the street from the downtown Phoenix public market on Saturdays, right? right. Yep. And there's all kinds of condos and apartments around me. And this neighborhood is really responsible for bringing me along in my journey. Because they would come in and they would be very gentle about the questions they would ask. But they would ask me, hey, where did this chicken come from? And I was thinking, California. And they're like, hey, have you ever considered chickens from Arizona? And I was like, I don't even know that people raise chickens in Arizona. So I uh, wow. had no idea about, yeah, I didn't know about farms. I didn't know any of that. All I knew uh, was industrial farming. And when we opened the, the breadfruit, I was actually a vegan. Oh, wow. <laughs> that posed, <laughs> posed a little bit of a problem. Obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> and I just refuted food in, in its entirety because I just believed that it was poisoning our planet and the people consuming it. And I mean, obviously, there's the best way to mend a broken food system is to be actively engaged. Yes. One of my, right? One of my mentors told me, who's actually my uncle who owns the yoga studios, Michael Leone said, Danielle, if you want to save the chickens, you better start eating the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant, but I thought it was repulsive at the time because I was a vegan. <laughs> but what I figured out is that buying chicken locally, so now we get our chicken from Dave Jordan at Chiwash Ranch, right, in New River, and he yep. raises them with integrity. Yep. Yeah. So He's a good guy. That's what it He's amazing, and he's been raising our birds for, geez, more years than I can count now. And um, little by little, so I, it was this slow evolution of meeting community and then meeting farmers and ranchers and people like Maya Daly that have these amazing farms, right, that grow the most beautiful beef I've ever seen in my life. And they, they made me more excited about food and engaged. And it took years and years to really cultivate it because as a restaurant owner, there's this line, you know, that we tell where we have to be profitable, right? We have to keep our doors open. Yes. But then as I realized the true cost of buying, you know, processed chicken from California, 
like in, in good conscience, I could not, I couldn't buy it. Right. And that was really the tipping point, understanding the true cost of buying food that was inexpensive on the price tag, right? And understanding the consequences of it. And that just really just spun me into being more of a chef activist. And just those small experiences with where food comes from and how it came to be is really who, what formed who I am today. Wow. You called yourself a chef activist. Say more about that. Think about it. It's, it's chefs. You know, like we were talking about earlier when before we started is, you know, we have these farmers that are growing all this food for us and we're doing it with integrity, you know, and then here we are as chefs and now we are that leak between farmers and the people that are going to consume this food, eat this food on their plates, whether it's at a restaurant or at home. Okay. So here I am. I have to bridge that, that gap and chefs. I think chefs, our real role is, yeah, the food should be delicious. Absolutely. It should look great on a plate. Absolutely. We have to say chefs must be required to do more than just make tasty food. We've got that established. I want to know what's next. And what's next is being responsible. Because I feed you, you should have utmost trust in my decisions. So I think chefs really have to be here to help us reimagine our understanding of nature. Chefs are here to help us reimagine our connection, that the food on the plate came from somebody toiling in the soil or the sea. There's real work and risk and love that goes into that. And if we're just going to, I don't know, shave a carrot, you know, and steam it and I don't know, just make it totally devoid of nature and neutral. Like it's, it's devoid of a story. So chef, 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 are activists, yeah. every one of them. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, they're cheering for the wrong team in most cases. <laughs> there you go. Wow, I have to tell you, is when you were sharing that, I was in tears. It's oh. yeah. Well, it's 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 my truth, and it's your truth, and it's a lot of people, a lot of our listeners out there. It's their truth, and we just have to understand that connection and continue to make it. Absolutely, and that's it. Like as a chef, I buy. And I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous thrill and a responsibility at the same time. Um, but that's, that's all of our parts to play in this good food system, in this, this world that sustains itself. To be sustainable is to be better eaters. And what I do, my, what I believe my purpose is, is to help everybody become a better eater and do it in a very fun way. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the... I'm in the industry of hospitality. You're supposed to come in and smile and enjoy the reggae and, you know, be with the people that you enjoy. And then, you know, you'll see there's a lot of seafood on my menu, even though we're in the desert. And it's also the breadfruit is a platform where people can feel safe and engage in discovery, you know, where you could ask questions about where the food came from or, or give, we give people permission to not have the answers, to not know and to not fully understand what's in front of them, where it came from or mm-hmm. how it was prepared. And I mean, that's the role, I believe the role of a, of a, good, a good restaurant, like a, a restaurant worth existing. Wow. So you're actually taking people on a journey when they walk in the door that, that helps them define for themselves what real food is and where it comes from. Did I get that right? Absolutely. That's, that is the heart and soul. The breadfruit is a restaurant, but it's really, 
it's really our tool, our vehicle to affect change. So we throw these awesome dinner parties six days a week. <laughs> and I don't do it just because I love to throw a party. I mean, you know, it can get tiring having a party every night. <laughs> yeah. But when <laughs> but when you see all these people walk through and you see the potential just to inform them, like to really like as the, in the true sense of the warm like word to change their form, like to to re to reshape their perceptions because they've already said yes to me. You know, you it's hard, you know, you I walk to the farmers market and there's people with clipboards asking you to sign up for this or that. And you you approach that clipboard and I know inside me I go, ah, all right. <sighs> let's be kind, let's be open minded. But man, I have to set myself up for that. You walk into a restaurant, you're ready. Yeah. You're open minded. Oh yeah. I've got your full attention. Yep. <laughs> so at that point I can I can readily talk to you about sustainable seafood or where we get a chicken or, you know, why it's okay to eat these chickens. Because I'll tell you that I don't eat much meat um, and I certainly don't eat meat when I'm outside of my restaurant unless I know exactly where it came from. And I think that's truly the the key, like the the main message, like the takeaway that I've understood through my journey of becoming a chef is knowing where it came from and always asking what seems like a really hard question, like, where did you get this? Or how is it raised? You know, the simplest questions we really shy away from that make the biggest changes. Yeah. You've been sourcing things uh, sustainably for a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And in your interactions with people, the the people you buy from, you know, I know there's uh, commercial sellers of food out there. What kind of conversations are you having with them to get them enrolled? That's a great question. We were looking to streamline our ordering process at the Breadfruit, and I have taken tremendous pride that you have never seen a Cisco truck or a U.S. food truck or whatever pull up to my restaurant. You'll never see it in my alley. That would be like the day of shame for me. <laughs> right. How, however, I still buy toilet paper. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know, we buy really basic stuff that obviously our, our local farmers and stuff can never make for me. And I just wanted to streamline it. So I engaged with Cisco and they were really proud of their sustainability efforts when it comes to seafood. And they really wanted me to sign on and even do a, like a, regular podcast with them about sustainable seafood and, you know, so I was going back and forth probably for about six months with them. And at the end of the day, I firmly believe that they are genuinely trying and have a trajectory to become more sustainable. They see it as filling a need. Yes. Their inspiration is us, like me and you and everybody that listens to this podcast. We are actually changing the way that these giant purveyors are thinking about supplying food to the masses because we keep asking these hard questions like, hey, what's in this chicken? Where did this fish come from? Do you have organic broccoli? Hey, do you have local broccoli? And they're just saying, this is where the money's at. The money is at giving people what they're asking for, right? Supply and demand. Yes. So I'm seeing people, Cisco US Foods, switching to organic, looking for local vetting aquaculture, thinking about where the fish was from. I mean, they're dedicating people just to consider this, consider their their sustainable supply chains where it's never happened. And this is just happening in the past couple of years. 
And we've seen that. I mean, with the work that I've been doing, there's this kind of this tidal wave of organizations and people and businesses that are going that direction. Are you seeing that? Yes, absolutely. And it's there's this old-fashioned business model, right? And that is make money. Yeah. Period. Right, exactly. Done. Okay, now the, the demand this per capita, we're saying, you want my money, you have to give me these things. And these things happen to be much more in alignment with a harmonious, sustainable planet. And they'll sell us whatever we want. We just have to tell them what we want. And a lot of us have to do it. We can't be reticent and we can't be scared and we can't be shy about it. If anything, we should be outraged. We should be demanding it. We should be standing up and yelling it because we deserve better. Every single one of us deserves so much better than what is available to us. And eventually, podcasts like this and our good work and the very good work of so many people around the globe, we are going to turn that tide. It's going to be a sea of change and it's going to flood the planet with sustainability. It's just little by little by little, one fish at a time, one vegetable at a time. Yeah. One organic chicken from day at a time. That's the truth of it. It all makes a difference. Wow. So I hear that you got a James Beard Award. Tell me about that. <laughs> okay, let's be very quick. The James Beard Foundation gives out annual awards. And it's uh, I think they give out 20 of them now a year across the nation. Now, that is their chef awards. They have, uh, they have a second arm of the James Beard Foundation that's very new to them within the past couple few years. And it's their impact programs. So they have award programs, they have impact. I am heavily entrenched into the impact program. So I have been awarded the fellowship for the Women in Entrepreneur Leadership Program. I am an alum of their chef boot camp for policy and change. I have led their first seafood summit in DC. I helped them put together owning it, Phoenix. So I'm part of the movement. Like I'm kind of the face of that side of it um, one day they might movement. give me yeah yeah maybe one day they'll give me something shiny to hang around my neck and that'll be a super bonus <laughs> but it's the work we do along the way i tell people this all the time it's not about the destination i have this vision of creating phoenix in the next 30 years into a food secure place where we grow all the food that we need here in phoenix but it's not about getting there. Who knows if I ever get there? It's about the work that we do every day, day in and day out, that makes that difference. Yeah, that's the truth of it. That's what, that is what makes all the change. So every day we consider, you know, I only have to buy 20 pounds of fish this week. Where is that fish coming from? I know you're talking about Arizona and supplying all the food we need in Arizona. And I think that's becoming easier to do because we have so many more farmers. I mean, small scale farmers, right? Right. Like small farmers that we can find and we can support. And I've seen programs between Arizona State University and Slow Food Phoenix and all these organizations throughout our state that are trying to link smaller farmers with people like me. And it's because of that, that I've even, I've, you know, there's a major microgreen company that I can buy microgreens from, but instead I found a very small supplier and he just brings me two flats of microgreens every week. And that's all he does is microgreens, but you know, spending 50 or hundred dollars with him, it can allow him to grow and become a bigger Arizona company that's raising things sustainably that's transporting them sustainably, not being, you know, flown from New York for me because I want to put a flower on a plate. So it's 
it's all those small considerations that make a strong Arizona economy, but a global economy, because we do need to shop closer to home and look home first for the resources. And I believe if those resources aren't there, there's probably somebody that would like to fill that need for you. Yes. It's just about partnerships. Yep. Who is your microgreen supplier? Cultivar Microgreen. And uh, they're gorgeous. And I've I mean, I can't ask for anything more. He has a small microgreens farm and he checks in with me every week to see the quality. If I want anything specifically grown, he's very concerned about it. Like he is a steward of microgreens. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that's, it's amazing. And that's the finishing touch, right? On the plate. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I want to point out here to our listeners. First of all, you started out as a yoga teacher and 12 or 13 or 14 years ago, you decided to become a chef and you just went out and did it. And you know, our friend Dylan at the microgreens place, he's a small microgreens purveyor. You guys mm-hmm. both started with a dream and you're pursuing it. And that's that's really the message that this podcast is all about. It's like, yes, we've had rock stars on the show, literally rock stars and rock star farmers, but we also have people that are just starting out that want to create a difference. And that's what you're doing. And that's what it takes is, you know, I mean, believing in yourself or really just having this desire. You know, we you wake up, I don't know, you're going through your day and you know you can just sense when something's not right. I think it causes frustration in a lot of people's lives when they don't feel that they're empowered to affect change. When I have that feeling in my chest where I'm a little bit unhappy, instead of being upset about it, I breathe through it first because I used to teach yoga. (laughs) And then I think about how do I make sure that I never experience that again? And in order to never experience that again, that means you better do something about it. What does that mean? Grow microgreens. You fill a need, right? Open a restaurant, store sustainably, you know, support farmers. Like you want better food, then buy better food. And as a chef, I get the opportunity of buying food for tens of thousands of people. I think that's wow. the best way in my way. Like I can't imagine how to do it any better, you know, than to support people on, on the largest scale to have that buying power. But individually, if everybody here decides to go out on Saturday to their farmer's market or Sunday or go to your farmer's market this week, I should say, and buy something from a grower that is local to you, meet a new farmer or a purveyor and build that relationship and get to know the food and where it came from. I mean, you're going to feel so much better about yourself. I mean, you're going to feel better because you ate it. You're going to feel better because you are around other people that are smiling and happy that are happy to see you. It just nurtures and fosters this beautiful symbiotic relationship and it blossoms into this balanced, healthy existence that we are all vying for. That is the antithesis of that mm, that little discord you might feel in your chest one day because it's not quite right. But quite right starts with a single purchase, with asking a single question. Wow, that was beautifully said. Thank you. So tell me about Big Marble Organics. Oh my goodness. Okay, uh, Big Marble Organics is our newest endeavor. So located in downtown Phoenix, we are a carbonated beverage company. So we are bubbling everything. We are carbonating everything. Wow. I've been obsessed with bubbles for a really long time. I kind of have the refrigerator of a bachelorette, I guess. <laughs> 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 like. <laughs> 
like champagne, prosecco, ginger beer, and banana ketchup and salami. I'm like, <laughs> oh, so this is your <laughs> like favorite time of the year at uh, Trader Joe's when they bring in their ginger beer. <laughs> well, see, you know, when I was just a little bit talking about that kind of like mm, kind of frustration you kind of feel where you're not just quite happy. Yeah. Well, I've got to tell you, I decided to do something about that feeling once again. <laughs> Here, go get it. So. so- I pick up ginger beer and I go, "Mm, I don't think so. It's not quite right. That's not how it's supposed to be. Oh, very good. How is it supposed to be? How is it supposed to be? I like my ginger beer spicy. I like my ginger beer unadulterated. Like I don't want, I don't want pineapple juice in it. I don't want any seeds. I just want carbonated ginger, uh, very highly carbonated too. So we have come out with Big Marble Organics, and we are debuting our spicy ginger beer in just a couple of months. And you're going to find it in restaurants and bars all across the valley. And then wow. late next year, we'll be able to get into grocery stores. So, And it, it falls in line with our beliefs. So food should be simple. It should be traceable. And it should be good food, meaning it supports a good food system, supports the people that are farming properly, right? So it's organic ginger. We know the source of it. It's five ingredients. All those ingredients are organic, non-GMO, fair trade, vegan, fairly sourced, and produced by us here in Phoenix, distributed here in Phoenix, glass bottles, and it's every formulation is a reflection of our values that we talked about, that we encompass at the breadfruit. And it's also a means for me to have more buying power. And that's what we were talking about, affecting change every day. Yes. What you what you decide to spend your money on is the reality that you perpetuate, whether it's, I don't care what it is. It could be a t-shirt or it could be broccoli or your coffee. It doesn't matter. You decided the fate of the person on that other end, whether it's good or bad. Now I think about farming. I think about the state of sugar fields. I think about farmers in Indonesia as well. I think about those kind of people that perhaps don't have this giant outpouring of support like we do in Phoenix or in our nation. And I want to make sure that that it's globally something that I can support. So if I can buy as much sugar as I don't know, maybe Pepsi. <laughs> then what I love kind of it. change? Well, right? Yeah. Talk to me about change then when I'm buying more tons than I can count of something. Because right now I said I can only buy, you know, I buy 20 pounds of a certain fish a week, which is great. But I mean, I would love to buy a ton of something. And <laughs> right? that's what Big Marble is going to let me do buy tons of good food. Wow. Nice. Uh, you use the word traceable. Um, I want to take this opportunity. Ah for you to share what that means, because that's an important term. Just like you, you draw a line on a piece of paper, or, I mean, there's an outline of something, I mean, you can trace it, like in the most literal sense, you can follow it back. So everything on the menu at the breadfruit is traceable. So the words on the menu are, are pointers, pointers to where it came from, right? So it reads, to wash, to wash ranch, chicken, curried, stuffed in a cabbage leaf, fine. Okay, those are all pointers. Top right of my menu is a list of all my purveyors. So you are going to bet your bottom dollar that that cabbage leaf came from somebody up in that box and that chicken came from somebody listed in that box, right? And you know. So if you wanted to fully understand the impact of that food you're buying, whether it's a fish or a vegetable, I can tell you. I can say that money went to Dave Jordan at Chiwash Ranch. 
And this is where his ranch is located. These are his, his practices for raising his birds, how he treats them, what he feeds them. I can tell you about his daughter and her college journey and their <laughs> struggles when the, right when the ranch got flooded because we were so excited for a monsoon, but his land was so dry that it couldn't absorb it. And it washed out one of his warehouses and Ooh. the effect, the economic effect that had yeah. on him. And the fact that you're only paying this much for a chicken can never truly pay him what he deserves because we've decided that chicken is only worth this much money, even though it does not afford my farmer a proper quality of life. And I tell him every time I see him, you need to charge me more money for chicken days. And he's like, I can't because you're the only person that's going to pay more money for chicken. And I said, well, there it goes. Yeah. Traceable. And I think if you can trace it back to the root, to the person who gave you the opportunity to have that food, people would understand the real value. You would pay what it is worth. You would eat it more slowly. It would taste more delicious. You'd be feel much more satisfied with your decision when you were done with it if you thought about traceability. Yeah. Wow. Once again, you brought me to tears. I do want to interject something here. A few years ago, I decided that since I wasn't a vegetarian that I eat chicken that I was going to actually raise some chickens in my backyard to eat. And I Mm. came to appreciate the true value of a hen that you busher, Mm -hmm. you know, because what it takes to grow it, what it takes to feed it, what it takes for it to be butchered and cleaned and land on your plate. It's, it's an amazing Mm. journey. And that's that, you know, that kind of feeds into the traceability piece as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I mentioned a little while back that I went through the James Beard Foundation chef boot camp for policy and change. And on day three, they, they brought a goat, uh, goat, a sheep out and they said, we are going to, we are going to slaughter a sheep and we're going to show you how we do it on the farm. And it's super humane and we've practiced it and we raise these animals. We love these animals. And it's as good as it can ever be. And you're welcome to stay or leave, but this is the reality of the food that you're going to cook later this evening. And I, I did cry and it actually makes my, like, makes you tear up, like, well, up thinking about it. Yeah. I can get that. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Oh, it's tremendous. And it's not the first animal that I've seen slaughtered. Whenever Dwayne and I go back home to Jamaica, we usually go to Madras where uh, his family is from, like in the high mountains. Mm -hmm. And we buy a goat from a farmer and that's how it is. They sharpen a machete and pad it, we go. And I sit there every time and I watch it because it's, I mean, I'm lucky that it's not my hand. It's hard enough to watch it. Right. And so I do eat meat, but I don't eat a lot of it. And when I do, I make sure that the animal is raised properly, cared properly, slaughtered properly. And my God, I am going to treat it with all the care and love that it deserves when it reaches my kitchen. So, Wow. You bring a level of consciousness to food that I don't often see. And I want to thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. So what is your next good food fight? (laughs) My next good food fight is, well, I would say it's, it's an ongoing food fight. It's one that I live every single day and it's, it's a few fold. So the good food fight for me is educating, educating my team of chefs closest to me. So I start closest to me and the people that I rub shoulders with every day, mm-hmm. educating the next crop of chefs to understand all these things that we know and believe to help them make that their reality. So when they leave me, they take it to their kitchen and they can make that a reality for the 
tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of diners that will run through that restaurant, right? So affecting change on a large scale there. Yeah. Second, it's about my chef community. It's about my friends, it's about my, my colleagues and helping them understand that you can only have a successful business if it's sustainable. You can only, you want to sustain yourself, want to keep your doors open, right? You want to put a check in the bank. You want to pay your employees. You can only do that if you give back. What does that mean? You can't only take so much. You can only take so much. And I have this tremendous success at the breadfruit, success meaning their version of it, their definition, which is people come in and buy food, right? (laughs) And I only have that because of this conversation we're, we're having and these beliefs that we find common where you have to honor your food. You have to understand the true cost of it. You have to impart the story. You have to stop for a minute and speak up and inspire other people. And then people come for that. People are attracted to growth. People are attracted to wellness. It's a high vibration. Every day I open my door at the breadfruit, people will show up. I don't even consider it any other way. Right. And I'm telling chefs across, yes, across the valley, across my state, when I travel the nation, that this is, this is success. This conversation is the foundation of success in the future of restaurants and chefs. That's the second fold. <laughs> And then trying to talk to more people about seafood, talking about this myth in this misinterpretation of fresh and frozen, helping people understand what the word sustainable means. That's like, that means nothing to most people. Right. What is sustainable seafood? What does that even mean? What does sustainable mean? Helping people understand it. I mean, I have guests that have dined with me for years and they'll be sitting, say, at the bar, in the rum bar, and I'll stop to say hello. And I'll say, hey, those shrimps, those are desert sweet shrimps. They were grown right here in Gila Bend, Arizona. Beautiful, sustainable shrimp. And they just muster up the nerve after years to say, chef, what does that even mean, sustainable? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) You opened the door. After all these years. (laughs) That's it. Just trying to help people shift their consciousness is how I approach this good food fight. Uh, Amen to that. We're on the same train. And wow, that is your story is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing it. Oh, so nice to, to be able to speak to people that are like minded that I know can help me carry this torch, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy, and what you might have learned from it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I have a restaurant, so uh, <laughs> we can interpret. <laughs> Every day can be interpreted as a failure if you let it. But I would say overarchingly, like my the, the biggest failure was when we first opened the breadfruit, I'd say like maybe six, eight months, less than a year into it. And Dwayne and I would be just standing there waiting for people to come in and not many people were coming in. Nobody wanted, nobody woke up that morning saying, my gosh, I would just love to eat Jamaican food. Nobody did that crazy, but it's true. Okay. There's like 3000, there's like 3000 Jamaicans in our whole, you know, city. So we shut the door that day, walked out, sat in the car and just said, all right, we're shutting down the breadfruit. Yep. We're done with this. We're absolutely done. The whole car ride home, like a 45 minute car ride, just kind of like mauling this over. And the next day we turned the lock, we opened the door and we reopened the breadfruit. What does that mean? Our business model was a total failure. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. And we said, that's fine. We're going to scrap it. Forget about it. Who cares? That doesn't work. What can we do moving forward? What has to change? 
is it a cooking technique? Is it a menu? Is it how we're reaching our community? Is it the lack of message? How are people not understanding what we're feeling? How do we articulate it? How do we become more efficient at delivering this service? And we have multiple times, in our heads at least, shut the doors of the breadfruit, closed it down, and just said, no attachments to that. What works? Try it again. Yeah. Okay. Breadfruit 3.0, 4 <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you know, it takes so much energy and so much planning to, to open a business, oh, to yes. start anything. Yeah. And my God, when it doesn't work flat out, just you don't have money in the bank. Like you're done. We would, whatever we sold that day is all the money we had to buy food for the next day's service. Like it was not working, right? Yes. So $100 isn't much. Oh, yes. So I guess uh, it was that would be my biggest failure, but I guess a, a success in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I really, that's why I asked this question. And what do you consider your biggest success? I say my my biggest success is it. it's not tangible. It's not like a, you know, an acquisition or something. It was really realizing what success truly meant. That's when I started feeling successful. Mm-hmm. So it was, transcending this old fashioned definition of what, what a good ROI is like, right. Like realizing that in order to succeed, that I had to take in the true cost of doing business that I had, I had to redevelop, like reconsider what people have always told me, like what it meant to be successful and to like, to, to take off those chains, like to take that burden off of my shoulders, like get that monkey off your back and just take a deep breath and be like, you know what? I don't have to live by that. That's not true, actually. And you know what? What you're saying, success is, is not working for you. You're not happy. The planet's not happy. And I say, no, I redefine what success is. Beautiful. And what drives you? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that drives me that inspires me, but really overarchingly, it's knowing that, you know, when, when you wake up, you are taking part of, I'm, it's only a version of reality, right? Yes. That I wake up and I'm saying, you know what? I didn't, I'm 38. I did some of this stuff around me, right? But my God, there's a lot of people that came before me and this is what they saw as correct. And every day that I wake up, I see it as offering this infinite amount of possibilities. I wake up knowing that I I have control. I'm inspired by all these possibilities to make somebody's day better or to help myself and others become the best versions of ourselves, to make our community rally around all the things that nature uh, nurture us and sustain us so we can have a healthy way of being. So what drives me is I, I open my eyes and I go, oh. Oh my God, there's so much to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can, but in a good way, like I get to do so much. What would you like to do today? It's like having a treasure chest in front of me and I have to stop and just say, hold on and pick something and slow down, focus. <laughs> and do it, yeah. <laughs> and just dive into it, you know? Yeah, Janice, I affectionately call her my manager these days. She manages me. She laughs because I'll call her in the morning. I'll say, oh, my gosh, what if we did this? <laughs> and she tries to she tries to push all the what ifs to Thursday. Oh, it's Thursday today. I should call her. <laughs> but I hear you. And, you know, this is apparent 
what you just said is absolutely apparent in the last 43 minutes that we've been talking. I can see it in who you are and how you're being. So congratulations. Thanks. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Michael Pollan. I would say Michael's in defense of food, the um, Eater's Manifesto. Yep. I like his work is what brought me into this fold, like this reality of like what a good sustainable life feels like and what it can be. And I mean, he wrote, you know, it's like, I think one of his most famous quotes when he he wrote, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And I went, oh, there we go. Got it. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Thank you for uncomplicating living a good life, well, at least when it comes to food. Yeah. Wow. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Oh, just be considerate of yourself. Like, truly put yourself first. What I mean, like, not in a selfish, negative way, but really make these choices in your life in eating, right? Or just interaction. Find the the things that truly sustain you, things that are going to that find that which will nurture you, that will fill you and make you feel good. These good eating decisions, you know, finding out where your food comes from, because it's going to be more nutritionally dense and you're supporting a, a, a good community, a good food system. Just what 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 nurtures you every day? So be selfish in the sense like, wouldn't it be nice if somebody was nice to you? Be nice to somebody else. Watch it be reciprocated, right? Eat yes. good food. You're going to feel better. So I'm going to say, go out there and just be selfish. That's my word of advice. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Danielle. You have been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, you bet. And how can our listeners find you? Well, you can usually find me at the Breadfruit and Rum Bar <laughs> in downtown Phoenix. But if you want to contact me directly, you're welcome to email me. It's info, I-N-F-O at thebreadfruit.com. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can direct message me there. I respond right away. Excellent, excellent, excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash breadfruit. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.